This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Well, good morning again, GYC. Have you been blessed so far today? Praise the Lord. I am so glad you have decided to uh, choose this seminar And we're going to be looking at hopefully some vital counsel and practical wisdom that we all need as we are living in these last days of Earth's history. And the great controversy is full of information that is very timely for the time that we're living in. And it's my prayer that this will be a a seminar that you will not be the same when you leave. Even if you've read the great controversy, that you will be changed by understanding and seeing all of the counsel that we have in this book. Before we begin, though, I would just like to uh, have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here as your people at GYC. Lord, I pray that uh, today as we, we study the book, The Great Controversy, inspired by your servant, that you will inspire our hearts and minds, that we will understand the message that you have for each one of us, and that we will continue to uh, walk in all the light and all the truth that you make very clear and plain to us. I pray that you will bless each person here today, and I humbly ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for you to take your Bibles out and open up to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, a chapter that my brother Norman was referring to earlier, uh, which has a lot of information about background to the great controversy. The title of this seminar is, uh, this section is Lessons from the Church in the Wilderness and the Reformation. I'm going to attempt to try and cover about 11 chapters in the great controversy in 60 minutes. So I hope that you uh, brought your seatbelts with you and are are ready for uh, a lot of information. But we find in Revelation chapter 12 verse 14 a key thought that will direct us in our study this morning. And we read there, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So we see a woman, which we know represents a church, and she is uh, taken to a place that is prepared for her by God into the wilderness. And we're going to look and see what that church was like in the wilderness this, uh, this morning. Well, I want to just share briefly a little bit about what the great controversy means to me. Uh, My name is Brian Heinemann, and this is my first time speaking at GYC. Uh, This is my second conference that I have attended. I attended the one in uh, Houston two years ago and was richly blessed. Even as a slightly older person, my wife and I were, uh, were very blessed, and our lives were changed by being at GYC. So it is a huge privilege for me just to be here, and then also uh, to even be asked to present is, is really overwhelming. In fact, when they asked me if I would present, the first reaction was, was total shock. And the second reaction was, oh man, I don't get to go hear Stephen Bohr. So I was disappointed uh, a little bit that I wouldn't get to hear and many others that are here. But I'm glad you have uh, taken the chance to come here and, and listen to uh, this seminar. Uh, I teach it at Mount Pisgah Academy. And uh, primarily what I teach is, is history, uh, American history, world history, and American government. But I do have the privilege of teaching one Bible class. 
and I treasure that opportunity. It is uh, the, the 11th grade junior Bible. And would you believe the curriculum for junior Bible is first semester, 28 fundamental beliefs. Our core beliefs as Seventh-day Adventists, what could be more important and vital to, to study with young people? And then second semester, our curriculum is the books of Daniel and Revelation. And so we go through in my class, we go through every chapter and every verse and read through those books and try and understand what those uh, books mean to us as Seventh-day Adventists. And so that stays fresh in my mind because I get to, uh, to, to review and, and reteach it every year. Well, I have a, a, a huge appreciation for the, the spirit of prophecy. And I just want to point out and say that it has been a, a huge blessing to me, a, a huge blessing. And there's several verses that mean a lot to me that sometimes don't get mentioned uh, from our, our pulpits, maybe even presenting the spirit of prophecy. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we want to look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22. Love to hear the pages turning. I'm sure that is also music to angels' ears before men and angels this week. 1 Corinthians 14, 22 says, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now notice this next phrase in here. This is what's really important for us. But prophesying serveth not for them which believe not, but for who? Them which believe. I hope you guys are awake this morning, right? Are you awake? All right, amen. So prophecy is for believers. And so the question that comes to my mind that I ask myself and my students, simple question, are you a believer? Are you a believer in God's word? Yes, as my brother Norman said, we are sola scriptura, but the Bible clearly points out that there is going to be a prophetic gift, the prophetic ministry in God's last day remnant church, as, as mentioned already in Revelation 12, 17. Uh, also, uh, go with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Just a few verses, uh, get to, to share some background with, with you about my perspective on the spirit of prophecy. Matthew chapter 7, and we want to look at... Verse 15, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. I have too many things in my Bible. They're falling out. And we read there, this is a, near the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 15, beware of all prophets. Is anybody awake this morning? That's not what it says, right? Beware of who? False prophets. What does that presuppose? That there would be true prophets, correct? Jesus is not warning against all prophets. He's only warning against false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And I'll have a slide that kind of uh, depicts this a little bit later. So that also makes clear to me that there will be true prophets in the last days. And I am so thankful that God has, has given us the, the gift of prophecy through Ellen White. Well, I'm going to be talking a lot about history this morning. And I believe that it's really impossible to have a clear understanding of world history without understanding the great controversy. It, it really is uh, impossible. Uh, there's a powerful statement uh, in the book Education, page 173, 
where Ellen White says, the Bible is the most ancient and the most comprehensive history that men possess. The Bible itself. It came fresh from the fountain of eternal truth. And throughout the ages, a divine hand has preserved its purity. It lights up the far distant past where human research in vain seeks to penetrate. In God's word only do we behold the power that laid the foundations of the earth and that stretched out the heavens. Here only do we find an authentic account of the origin of nations. Here only is given a history of our race unsullied by human pride or prejudice. Understanding the great controversy is absolutely vital to understanding uh, world history. In fact, I have my students in my world history class read from the great controversy, as well as in my American history class, there's a chapter on the Pilgrim Fathers, and they read over that as uh, we discuss the early colonial time period in American history and see the prophetic significance of that as, as described in the great controversy. Well, um, this book here, I have probably not read it through as many times as my brother Norman has. I would say maybe four times, uh, bits and pieces many times, but all the way solid cover to cover four times. And I first probably seriously began to study it about 12 years ago when my mom died from cancer. And I began to realize, you know, boy, this world is, is out of control. Uh, there is a sin problem, and it is uh, a problem that's, I was seeking answers to, more clarity, and I want to encourage and recommend this book to you. If you have not read it, read The Great Controversy. It will give you valuable counsel and perspective on the time that we are living in. And just a quick note about how much I believe in this book. Uh, my wife and I uh, believe in this so much that we have uh, we contributed $1,000 of our own money last year in our local church to raise money to distribute this to every zip code, every home and every business in the zip code where we live. It's 28715. And I believe uh, we, uh, we had to raise about $11,000 in order to be able to do this. And uh, we put in 1,000 of our own dollars to do that. And some of my neighbors are actually here and they also chipped in $1,000 or more. Uh, just a few families, because we believe that it's a timely message. Now is the time for people to hear what this book contains. So uh, my wife also, she's better than I am. She carries a box of great controversies around in the trunk of her car, and she passes them out. She remembers more than I do at gas stations, at wherever she might, wherever she is, really. Uh, I'll go grab a great controversy out of my trunk, and here you go. We go hiking out. I live in the mountains in Asheville. There's lots of hiking trails. We go hiking, and she'll want to take great controversies along to pass to hikers out on the trail miles away from anything. Just here's a book, and you can hold it for however long it is till you get back to your destination. But it's, the, it's time. It is time to get this book out. And so uh, I believe in it very, very much. Uh, notice Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for what purpose? I'm a teacher. I like to learn. Believe it or not, if you're a student, teachers don't have all the answers. I think that all good teachers are constantly learning because learning is something that we're going to be doing even on the other side of eternity. Amen? Right? We have an eternity to learn. God's knowledge and his infinite wisdom uh, is limitless. And so we'll be learning for all eternity. But I believe, and I'm going to apply this scripture to this book. I hope you'll 
agree with me, whatsoever things were written aforetime, we, we know this is inspired by the same level of inspiration as the books of the Bible. And so what's written in here is written to, to teach us, right? So that we might have patience and endurance and ultimately that we might have hope. So it, let's begin. Military levels of clearance. I have a brother-in-law who works in uh, naval intelligence. And what you're looking at here is a picture of the current Joint Chiefs of Staff, the, the heads of all the military branches in the United States military. And I had a conversation with him. He's involved in naval intelligence, and so he really can't tell me what he does because it's, it's secret. And so, uh, but I had a conversation with him in which he was telling me about the different levels that exist within our military of, of, of information being shared. And the first or lowest level, not the highest, the lowest level is confidential clearance. The second level is secret clearance. And the third level is top secret clearance. I mean, only the, the most important people around or, or get to know that information, top secret clearance. And this information is distributed on a need to know basis. That means you get told what you need to know and nothing more. And I asked him, is it possible then that a young uh, a person who's way down the chain of command might be privy to some information that someone who is a general might not know because they don't necessarily need to know it? And he said, absolutely. Well, I thought this was interesting because here in the great controversy, God has revealed top secret clearance information to each and every single one of us sitting here today. Do you believe that? He has revealed top secret clearance. We are all on a need to know basis for what is in this book. And God has seen fit to give us insights and instruction into what Satan is planning to do and is currently doing right now in the last stages of Earth's history. So are you interested in knowing that information, knowing this is high security level, top secret level clearance that God has given to us so that we can live in this time of the end and, and have God's seal placed upon us. Why study the past? Uh, a couple of quick quotes here, statements about studying the past. I had a teacher uh, in college that described uh, uh, one of my history teachers uh, that said, not knowing the past is like not having a memory. And he had us sit in our, and he said, I I'm gonna describe to you sitting in your seat and you're sitting there, imagine if your memory was erased. You did not know why you were sitting there. You did not understand where you, how you got to be sitting there. You don't know your name. You don't know what you ate for breakfast. So not knowing the past is similar to having your memory erased. You have no perspective or context on why things are the way they are and how things got to be the way they are. And Ellen White writes, this is volume five of the testimonies. Satan's snares are laid for us as verily as they were laid for the children of Israel just prior to their entrance to the land of Canaan. We are repeating the history of that people. So that's ancient Israel, right? Going back to Old Testament times. Well, let's bring it a little bit newer, a little bit more recent. This is taken from a 13 manuscript release. And it says, we have no time to lose. Troublous times are before us. The world is stirred with the spirit of war. Soon the scenes of trouble spoken of in the prophecies will take place. The prophecy in the 11th of Daniel, and I'll just say a quick plug for my brother Norman, if you have not heard him on Daniel 11, 
please go to Audioverse and do so. Daniel 11 covers some things from the Old Testament, but it also transitions up into the, the very end times we're living in. So Daniel 11 has nearly reached its complete fulfillment. And then she says this, much of the history that has taken place in fulfillment of this prophecy will be what? Repeated. So if we study it and it's already happened and we know it's going to happen again, we will then be informed and will not be deceived, caught off guard. Now the Waldenses. That's what I'm going to uh, talk about a little bit here. And I apologize for the selfie. I, I teach high school kids. Please have mercy. Uh, the, I, I just throw in a picture of myself whenever I go visit historical sites so that I can prove to my students I was actually there. I didn't just go to some website and just steal their pictures and talk about I was actually there. And anyway, there is a, this, is a, this is not in Italy, by the way. This is a small town of this, uh, this settlement I'm going to talk about. If you look at the sign, I actually disagree with the sign. And it's based on what the great controversy says. I live in North Carolina. There's a town called Valdez. And you can see it was founded by a group of uh, Waldenses in 1893 that immigrated over from Italy. And it is the largest Waldensian settlement outside of, uh, of Italy. And there's a, there's a museum there. They also have a, a display of 15 different stations that you can walk through and see uh, different stages in the Waldenses' history. Their, their school, they have a cave, they have some monuments, they have a replica. They've been over to Italy and they've tried to reproduce down to the T all the things that they had. And so... I'm going to share a little bit about, this is taken from chapter 4 of uh, the Great Controversy. Let's look at these people, which I believe are God's faithful people in the church in the wilderness that we read in Revelation 12 uh, earlier. She writes and says, In every age there were witnesses for God, men who cherished faith in Christ as the only mediator between God and man, who held the Bible as the only rule of life, and notice this, and who hallowed the true Sabbath. Has God always had a faithful people who have kept the Sabbath since creation? I believe it. Yes, indeed. And how much the world owes to these men, posterity will never know. Well, this is a picture that uh, I took there of a, of a monument. And you can't see it very well, but it shows uh, an emblem that, that, that kind of the Waldenses took as a, a logo. And it says in Latin, Lux Lucit in Tenebris. And that stands for, in English, light shines in darkness. And that's taken from John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness. And truly, this people, at a very dark time, uh, the time of the apostasy in the Middle Ages, were the light shining in the darkness. And there is a candle that is sitting on an open Bible, and there are seven stars above the candle, which represent the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. The Waldenses kept the light of Bible truth shining during the dark ages. Are we being faithful in keeping the light of truth today shining to those around us? The Waldenses had fidelity to God. The word fidelity has the, the idea of a faithfulness in a relationship. It's, it's based on a relationship. And I know you can't see it very well. I tried to make an arrow pointing to uh, a, this is a, a description of their heritage. But let me read what Ellen White says before I read what the, the plaque says. But of those who resisted the encroachments of the papal power, the Waldenses stood foremost. 
in the very land where popery had fixed its seat, there its falsehood and corruption were most steadfastly resisted. Right in the back door of, of Italy, up in the mountains of uh, the Alps, uh, the Waldenses were very faithful. And the plaque right here, it says, if you can't read it, um, quote, founded on the belief that all men have the right to worship God as they please. What is that really saying? Freedom of conscience, religious liberty. The Waldenses believed in that and they practiced that during the time of uh, the darkness of the Middle Ages. The Waldenses had an ancient faith. Their faith goes way back. That's why I, meant, I said I disagree with the sign. Even the, the, the Waldenses today, they, many of them, they, it said they trace their heritage back to the Middle Ages. Let me read this statement to you and you tell me what you make of it. Theirs, referring to the Waldenses, was not a faith newly received. Their religious belief was their inheritance from their fathers. They contended for the faith of the apostolic church. Their faith, I believe, is connected back with the spreading of the apostles, the spreading of the gospel through the apostles in New Testament times. Quote, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. She's quoting Jude 1.3 there. The church in the wilderness. That's the title of this seminar. And not the proud hierarchy enthroned in the world's great capital, that would be Rome, was the true church of Christ. This is the true church, hidden away in obscurity. Foremost that stood uh, with the light shining would be the Waldenses. And not, as some say, with Peter Waldo, who was someone that lived uh, in the, the, the 12th century A.D. I believe their, 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 their roots, their religious roots, date back far earlier to that. Uh, in fact, it's been said, uh, this is a, a replica, I forgot about the picture up here. This man here on the left is actually the director of the Waldensian Trail of Faith. If you ever get a chance, it's right off Interstate 40 in North Carolina. Visit this, uh, this exhibit here, and this is one of the stations here that shows the caves the Waldenses would hide in. And uh, he was telling me one story where the Waldenses were hiding in a cave, and some of the troops that were sent to, you know, root them out uh, because of their religious beliefs, they just started a fire at the entrance of the cave, and inside, because of the smoke, 3,000 Waldenses perished as a result of that. They weren't going to go in and try to get them out there. They figured out, we can just start a fire. It'll suck out all the, the oxygen, and it'll, it'll kill all the people hidden in there. But they would hide in these places also to worship. And I had a very interesting conversation with the director here. We, he took me on a personal tour for about an hour and a half through all their different stages, and... When we got done, I, I asked him, I said, you know, I've heard the Waldenses used to keep the Sabbath, the Saturday Sabbath. Do you know if that's true? And he said, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure if we have any direct records, but I think they did. And in fact, he said, you know, I think Saturday is the Sabbath. Hey, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? <laughs> I guess I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have kept it a secret that long. And I said, yes, yes, I am. And uh, he said, you know, there's something different about you people. And... You know, at first I thought, what is he going to say? But he said, uh, he, very powerful. He said, you, uh, you as Seventh-day Adventists seem to care more about this exhibit. Because he's, I mean, he works there and sees tour groups and people come through all the time. And he said, you seem to care more. He said, uh, several months back we had a group of Adventists that, that scheduled a tour. And the day that they were supposed to have their tour, it was cold, it was rainy, it was a miserable day. And... The people called in uh, and, and said, can we still come to this? Uh, we want to go and st st 
still see the tour, go through the different stations and go inside and, and look around. They said, well, sure, we'll still do the tour. And he said they were so excited, they were taking pictures of everything. And then just a, about a week later, another church group came in. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And they grumbled and they complained and they were, they were bored and they were just overall just kind of disinterested. And he said, there's something different about you guys. He said, you know, Saturday really is the Sabbath. I don't really know why we don't keep it. And, of course, you know where I was going with this. And I had already in my mind made up. I was like, I'm going to give this guy a great controversy. But the group that was there before me beat me to it. And uh, when I tried to give him one, I said, you know, there was a nice, the group that was here, he said, they got my address and they mailed me one, so I have a copy. And, anyway, I don't remember his name, but uh, pray for that man. I think he might... Uh, be open to the truth. The Waldenses, we're looking at their character and we want to notice things that we can also apply to our own lives that, uh, that we can adapt that are admirable and important. They had a tremendous love for the scriptures. Ellen White says, Great Controversy 65, the Waldenses were among the first of the peoples of Europe to obtain a translation of the Holy Scriptures. Hundreds of years before the Reformation, they possessed the Bible in manuscript in their native tongue. They had the truth unadulterated, and this rendered them the special objects of hatred and persecution. Well, do we as Seventh-day Adventists have the truth unadulterated as it is? Yes. Is now the time to modify or soften our position on the truth so that others will, will, will accept it? God forbid, no. Um, the Waldenses joined the Reformation in 1532. And one of the first things they did was they commissioned a Bible to be written from the original languages, which they had preserved. And you're looking at a, a copy here. It's called the Olivetan Bible. Olivetan is mentioned in the Great Controversy. He was a cousin of John Calvin. And there's, he's mentioned one time in the book. And it just uh, it mentions that his cousin, Olivetan, encouraged Calvin to, to look into Protestantism. When Calvin, of course, started out as a, uh, a Catholic priest. And so... Anyway, this was their contribution to the Reformation. A, this is the first Bible in the French language from the original languages. Tremendous contribution for the French-speaking people. Now, let's notice a few small points about the character of the Waldenses. I found these to be very powerful. In their fidelity to his law, God's servants should be as firm as the unchanging hills. The Waldenses were set in their, their natural setting with powerful rocky mountains and that was a, a picture in their mind as to the, the majesty of God and their fidelity they should have uh, to God's law. Notice also the principles of truth they valued above houses and lands, friends, kindred, that means family, even life itself. These principles they earnestly sought to impress upon the hearts of the young and GYC if there is anything I can do at all to impress upon you these principles found in the great controversy and, and rooted and grounded in the scriptures, I, I strongly encourage you, please study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then finally, uh, she writes and says, copies of the Bible were rare, therefore its precious words were committed to memory. And uh, like the young lady said last night uh, about memorizing scripture, the Waldenses, I heard the same sermon on Audioverse, I think, that she listened to and was inspired to begin memorizing the Bible. 
And uh, I have the Scripture Typer app. If you don't have it yet, uh, look for it, check it out. And uh, it is, it's just been a huge blessing. I have it on all my students' iPad, and I have them use that to try to memorize verses and encourage them to just be faithful in reviewing and studying uh, every day some passages of Scripture. Because if this is taken away and my Bible's taken away, but if it's here, it can never be taken away. It will transform your life if you have God's Word hidden in your heart. It's totally different than knowing where to find something than actually having it as part of your mind. It, it's so different. So if I can appeal in any way to uh, implore you to make that a priority, please, please. I thought this was very interesting. This is a picture of uh, the, what's called the Barbie College. The Waldenses did not want to be called father, as, as Catholic priests are called. They did not want to have any distinction at all with, with, with that type of a title, and so they're called Barbies. Not a Barbie doll. Okay. Barbie means uncle. So we're not going to be called fathers, we're going to be called uncles. And so this is the Uncle College, and I thought that was just awesome that, you know, they don't want to, you know, call no man father, but just one who is your father in heaven. And they're, uh, they had a, a college there, a, a training school, and they had it, this is all re reproduced just as it is in Italy in Valdez, North Carolina. And notice what she says about this missionary spirit that the Waldenses had. The spirit of Christ is a missionary spirit. The very first impulse, wait, what was that? Which impulse? The first impulse of the renewed heart is to bring others also to the Savior. That's beautiful. Uh, just as we pause on that point, the first impulse of the renewed heart. And so what is the question that we should ask ourselves? Is our heart renewed? Do I have a vital living connection with Jesus Christ? And do I have this desire to want to bring others to Jesus Christ? This is... Uh, a question that I ask myself uh, almost every day as I stand in the classroom and appeal to the young people that I have the opportunity to teach, that they will desire to share with others the truths that we have. Continuing on, such was the spirit of the Vaudois Christians. They felt that God required more of them than merely to preserve the truth and its purity in their own churches that a solemn responsibility rested upon them to let their light shine forth to those who were in darkness. You know, just being here at GYC is amazing to me. Um, I'm really not a big upfront speaker. I'd much rather talk to you one-on-one -on -one or in a small group. Uh, but when the Lord, you know, asks you to share, I want to be willing to share. I don't want to put myself any place he doesn't want me to be, but if he asks me to speak to my neighbor or someone at the, the, the local grocery store or whoever that might be, or someone hiking on the trail, as my wife is so good at doing, uh, that I'll be willing to let my light shine. So I hope that you will also have this same desire for a missionary spirit to reach others and not just be content to let them be in darkness. I don't want to leave other people in darkness. What if it was me? What if it was a family member? And they need to know the, uh, the light of truth that we have. It's so precious and it's so life-changing and inspiring. Why would not we want to share that? I pray that God will renew each of our hearts daily so that we will have the missionary spirit of Christ. 
And as one of the things the Walden Seas are known for is their, the, the persecution they experienced. experienced. Uh, the title of this slide is Him Only Shalt Thou Serve, taken from when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness uh, by Satan and his powerful response when he was tempted to worship anything or anyone else other than, than the true God. And he quoted scripture from Deuteronomy, and I think this is a, a faithful testimony that the Waldenses had. Notice what Ellen White says. No charge could be brought against the moral character of this proscribed class. Even their enemies declared them to be a peaceable, quiet, pious people. Their grand offense, this is their crime, their offense, was that they would not worship God according to the will of the Pope. That's it. For this crime, every humiliation, insult, and torture that men or devils could invent was heaped upon them. Should we expect any less today, those of us that seek to share the truth and, and desire to witness to others and be faithful to God, our God in heaven, our Father in heaven, and not a man on earth. Well, between the years of 1487 and 1689, that's about uh, 200 years, the Walden Seas fought 33 wars to defend their faith. 33 wars, they're not attacking other people, they're being attacked. They just want to live their lives, they're productive citizens, they're farmers, they're pastoral people. 33 wars in 200 years. There's one historian uh, whose name is Jean Ledger, who is one of the foremost in writing about the Waldenses, and he estimates that about 800,000 Waldenses were killed throughout their entire history. Now, just for a mental picture, 800,000 Waldenses. Um, the, the population or the, the membership of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in, in the United States is about one million. So can you imagine 80% being gone because of their faith, being faithful to what they believed? 80% being gone. Uh, this is a powerful testimony of the, the convictions and the connection these people had with God, willing to sacrifice and offer their lives. Are we today fully committed to worshiping God only, not the distractions of this world? And I invite you to come back this, this afternoon. Don't miss the seminars that we have this afternoon. I'm going to be presenting one on the snares of Satan. There's a chapter in the Great Controversy where I'm going to, I'm going to pull out a lot of hopefully all of the key things that Ellen White presents as specific things that Satan is trying to do even now to, to distract and to uh, destroy the faith that we have as God's remnant people. You won't want to miss it. All right. An intense desire to know the truth. Do you want to know the truth this morning? Are you here at GYC because you want to know the truth? Yes, I believe that's, that's true. Providentially guided to the Holy Scriptures, this is the Waldenses, they studied the sacred pages with intense interest. They were willing to accept the light at any cost to themselves. The truth. Though they did not see all things clearly, they were enabled to perceive many long-buried truths. Brothers and sisters, I firmly believe that God is guiding each one of us to the Holy Scriptures today, just as he did the faithful Waldenses so long ago. The question for us is, will we have the same intense desire to study and follow the truth? Are we willing to make whatever changes God reveals to us in his scriptures? Are we willing? One of my favorite memory verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? 
a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, how much has become new? All things. If I'm connected to Christ, there's going to be a complete transformation. Not partially or, or mostly, but a complete transformation. So we must have this connection with Jesus Christ. Well, I know I spent a lot of time on the, uh, the Waldenses, and so i got to get to the Reformation here in our, our last uh, 25, 30 minutes or so. Uh, the Reformation, one of my favorite eras in world history to study, and we're going to try to look at some of the key reformers and some of their characters, character traits, and see how we can maybe apply some of their character traits to our own lives today and be faithful as they were faithful. Matthew 24, 22, notice this passage, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. How many of you know what this applies to? Ellen White says in the book, The Great Controversy, uh, she describes this passage refers to the Reformation. We know the end of uh, the, the persecution, officially the 1260 years of persecution, that extends all the way to 1798. But the Reformation begins before that. Uh, well, with John Wycliffe, we'll see in a moment, officially with, with Martin Luther in 1517. But that would be uh, a, an ending or bring a lessening uh, to the uh, persecution that God's people were suffering during this fiery trial. Ellen White says this statement is found on Great Controversy 266. The persecution of the church did not continue throughout the entire period of the 1260 years. God, in mercy to his people, amen, in mercy to his people, cut short the time of their fiery trial. Through the influence of the Reformation, the persecution was brought to an end prior to 1798. Let's look at the foundation of the Reformation. The foundation, the great principle, which was the very foundation of the Reformation, that the word of God is the all-sufficient rule of faith and practice. There it is, the foundation of the Reformation. When people study God's word, there will be a change in their faith and practices. Amen? Their faith and practices will change. I thought this was very encouraging to me uh, because, well, not, I don't consider myself to be extremely humble. I just consider myself to be a very simple person and not necessarily exceptionally gifted uh, with, with many talents other than just I have an intense desire to serve and follow Jesus Christ. And notice what she says here. I hope this brings great comfort and, and encouragement to each and every one of you. It is God's plan to employ humble instruments to accomplish great results. Humble people, humble instruments to accomplish great results. That's his plan. Then the glory will not be given to men, but to him who works through them to will and to do of his own good pleasure. That is encouraging, right? Amen. Isaiah 57, verse 15. I think so much of when I read Spirit of Prophecy, as I read more and more of my Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, I see where she's getting ideas connected with Bible uh, passages. It reminded me of Isaiah 57, 15, where we find, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. It sounds like in such a high and holy place that maybe no one has a chance of even being there. Notice what the rest of the verse says. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. That's who God dwells with. Those who are of a humble and a contrite spirit. That can be each and every one of us here this morning. Amen. 
those who are humble. Let's look at John Wycliffe. And I have the, uh, some of the dates are approximate, uh, not for sure on some of their, their, their births or their, uh, the date of their death. But the morning star of the Reformation. Notice what Ellen White says about this person. Wycliffe was one of the greatest of the reformers. And by the way, I've heard his name pronounced about five different ways. So if you don't like the way I'm pronouncing it, you can, you can take your own pronunciation. He was one of the greatest of the reformers. In breadth of intellect, in clearness of thought in firmness to maintain the truth, and in boldness to defend it, he was equaled by few who came after him. Purity of life, unwearying diligence in study and in labor, incorruptible integrity, and Christ-like love and faithfulness in his ministry characterized the first of the reformers. Wow, that is a, a powerful character indeed. A firmness to maintain the truth and a boldness to defend it. God is looking for a people today who will be firm to the truth as it is in the scriptures and that will be bold to defend it, no matter if they're at GYC or if they are at any other place for that matter. Well, uh, John Wycliffe took a bold stand against the payment of tribute claimed by the Pope from the King of England. He waged war against the institution of mendicant friars and spoke out against many things. And as a result, he was uh, uh, a target of persecution numerous times, but the Lord spared his life. It really is miraculous how he was preserved uh, and died uh, of old age. But she says the greatest work of John Wycliffe's of his life was the translation of the scriptures into the English language. And I found this very interesting. This was something that I'll have to confess I did not know until recently. Uh, this is not in the great controversy, but I'm going to read you something that's in the introduction to John Wycliffe's Bible. And I want you to tell me if it sounds familiar. And this is, she says, Ellen White says, this is the greatest of John Wycliffe's work was the translation of the Bible into the English tongue. He writes, this is Wycliffe's words in the 1300s. This Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, for the people. Has anyone heard that before? Now, I teach American history, so I'm going to drop some hints here. There is a, a big anniversary that occurred just, well, I guess last year, 2013, the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. And after the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, it was at some months actually, it wasn't until November that they actually had a ceremony to kind of dedicate the, the big battle that took place there. And in November, just a couple months ago, the 150th anniversary, there was a president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, who gave that famous description of our government in the United States of the people, by the people, for the people. I did not realize that he lifted that from John Wycliffe, this man you see right here. And the rest or the fullness of that phrase is this Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That is powerful. The Bible is what is the foundation of our government for all of us as people, no matter what your, your political status or, or, or boundaries are. That is the standard for all humanity. And so I just thought that was very powerful and uh, thought I would pass that along. All right, well, let's move on and look at uh, another reformer, uh, John Huss. By the way, I, I see some of you taking pictures and stuff. If any of you want any of the material that I have, uh, I just put together some keynotes uh, for the, my presentations, and I'm sure my brother Norman would probably say the same. I'm willing to give you anything that I have. Uh, just I can email it to you. I have it on a Google Drive uh, account, and you can go either have the PDF or the keynote files. It's, 
it, it's yours if you, if you want it for the, the quotes or pictures or anything. So to God be the glory. Amen. Okay, uh, John Huss, following shortly after the time of, uh, of John Wycliffe. And notice, uh, and I won't, I, I'm just going to just share briefly a few thoughts about some of the key reformers. Uh, she writes and says, His example of faith and constancy would encourage multitudes to stand firm for the truth. In the face of torture and death, his execution had exhibited to the whole world the perfidious cruelty of Rome. Wow, as you can see here, he was uh, burned at the stake in 1415. Uh, he was condemned at the Council of Constance. If you've read the Great Controversy, you know that the, the Emperor Sigismund gave him a safe conduct pass. But the Catholic prelates and, and priests and, and legates there said, wait, he's a heretic. You, don't, you can break faith. You don't have to keep a contract with a heretic. There's no need for you to... In other words, they're telling him that he can just disannul what he said. I'll give you a safe conduct that you can come, John Huss, and then I will make sure you return home safely. Violated that, and the Waldenses, later on uh, in their history, in some of their intense persecution, remembered at the Council of Constance, this law or principle had kind of been laid down by the Catholic Church. There is no faith to be kept with heretics. That if you make a promise to them, and you get them to come to the meeting, and then you can capture them, well, so be it if you're able to capture them, because they're a heretic and you don't have to keep your word to them. But anyway, what I thought was powerful about, you know, and I won't explain all the things that he, uh, that he spoke out against. He did denounce some of the vices among the people, and he appealed to the word of God as the truth. Um, but he uh, was persecuted and ultimately burned at the stake. And if you've read the account, he was singing as he was uh, consumed in the flames. But the perfidious cruelty of Rome... I just want to make a quick comment. Does anyone know who was just chosen by Time Magazine as the man of the year for 2013, just a few weeks ago? It was the Pope, the man of the year. I mean, as you look and survey the accolades and the wonder and amazement that are, are bestowed upon uh, this person, a, a, a person, just a human being on earth, and it seems that the, the position and the tone has changed than, than some of these cruel you know, things we study about in the Great Controversy. But have things changed? If you've read the Great Controversy, uh, you will be familiar uh, that she writes on page 581, And let it be remembered, it is the boast of Rome, and this is referring to the Roman Catholic Church as a whole, that she never changes. Never changes. The principles, and she lists some popes here, Gregory VII and Innocent III, are still the principles of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, we're not against people of any, any faith or any religion, but Ellen White writes and says that the whole system of Roman Catholicism is a masterpiece of the work of Satan. A, an entire false religion set up presumably to honor God, but really it's taking away people's focus from honoring the true God. So we need to be aware of these things, even though it seems that things are changing. The great controversy clearly points out the character underneath this, this power. Martin Luther, I'm just amazed every, every time I read about him. I'm just so, he is one of the particularly inspiring reformers to me. And uh, my brother Norman read this quote earlier in his presentation, uh, but I'll read it again. Foremost among those who were called to lead the church. From the darkness of popery into the light of a pure faith stood Martin Luther. Now look at his character. He was zealous, ardent, 
and devoted, knowing no fear but the fear of God, and acknowledging no foundation for religious faith but the Holy Scriptures. Luther was the man for his time. These attributes, I believe, are commendable, and I believe these are things that we all should have as we are seeking to share the message of the truth as it is in God's Word. Uh, some, some quotes from Luther uh, that really uh, jump out at me. Page 122, Luther often said, Ellen White quotes him as saying, to pray well is the better half of study. I'm going to talk about prayer some more in this afternoon seminar uh, with the snares of Satan. In fact, one of Satan's snares is to believe that prayer doesn't matter at all. Doesn't even count, doesn't matter. Doesn't, not even something that's necessary. But Luther was convicted otherwise, that to pray well is the better half of study. That's in the great controversy. This next quote is not in the book, but it's one by uh, Luther as well. Luther stated, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is, to, is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So I found it particularly compelling that he found a Bible as he was uh, a younger person, uh, as he was a monk, chained to a wall in a monastery, and he'd never read the Word of God. He didn't even know that it existed in a, in a form more than just a few random passages that might be presented by the priests. But when he found this Bible, he would, she writes, he would spend time as much as possible going to this Bible. It's chained to the wall so you can't take it with you. And she said he would begrudge even eating and sleeping. Oh, man, we have to eat? Can't we just skip that? Can't we just read the Bible? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. And along with that, one of my other favorite memory verses regarding a desire to just bring in and put God's word in your, your heart, Job 23, verse 12. Write this one down. Job 23, verse 12. Job says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Not more than snacks and drinks and, and sodas and, and extra things, but more than my necessary food to stay alive. I have valued or esteemed the word of God more than even the food that I, I eat every day. That's what it means to me. That's what Job said. And Martin Luther, I think, had a similar uh, testimony that he bore. Now, this is a, a powerful statement, and I'm an educator, and I just, uh, I, I have to share this with you. I pulled this out, and there's so many great quotes in the Great Controversy. They're all great, but I thought this, as, as this is a conference for young people, might be particularly helpful. Notice what Martin Luther says on education. I am much afraid that the universities will prove to be the great gates of hell unless... Notice what they, unless they do, unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of youth. Here's the counsel. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. And so, my, my young brothers and sisters... I present to you Seventh-day Adventist education. I know that there are, there are schools out there that, that tout their ACT scores and SAT scores and their academics. Well, if I go to this Adventist school, I'm not going to get as good of academics. But please, please, 
Um, Jeremiah 2.13 says, uh, My people have forsaken me because they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns which can hold no water. We have to drink from the cisterns of God's word. We have to be guided and, and given instruction by teachers who, who reverence the word of God. I'm a product of 16 years of Seventh-day Adventist education. I am fairly certain I would not be standing here if I did not go to our schools. I have friends that are my age, young people, who came with me through elementary school. They came with me through academy. And then when I got to the college level, well, my major, I can get a better major. I can get a better program and it'll look better on a, a piece of paper if I go to this non-Adventist school. Please don't do it. Please go where your teachers value the word of God and you can be surrounded by young people who also value and treasure the word of God. It's, uh, Ellen White makes very clear that we are influenced by the people around us. And in the book of Proverbs, uh, I mean, no man is an island. We are influenced for good or bad. If you put me in a bad environment, I will be influenced for negative. I need to be around people that are, are positive and that believe in the truth as it is in the scriptures. So I just want to encourage you, as I mentioned earlier about my friends who did not go to uh, Adventist colleges, they're not here at GYC, and they're not in church, and they're not in really any church. Several dear friends of mine, and pray for me because I'm trying to reach out to them, and it's hard because we've, we went to school together. They know the truth, but they did not stay connected as they got uh, involved. They married some non-Adventist uh, people in any way. It becomes very difficult, so please. All right, our time is getting short. I have several more slides. And this powerful scene here, Martin Luther before the diet. Now, this is not a, a health weight loss plan. The word diet actually is for an assembly or a kind of a, a congress or meeting together. Here is Martin Luther standing before Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. And he gives that powerful uh, statement there, which I think we could safely agree with, that each one of us would, uh, would hope to follow. When he is accused with heresy, accused with uh, going against the, the teachings of the church. This is not the true church. We know the true church, Ellen White says, was the church in the wilderness. And he says, and Ellen White quotes him, Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the word of God, I cannot... And I will not retract. So are we going to have the same fidelity as Martin Luther? Will we stand as he stood for the faith that we have and we believe in? Did you know that this is a, and I'm, this is a powerful slide? Counterfeit holiness. Notice what Ellen White says, whenever Satan is not successful in getting those to people that he's trying to, to, to not be faithful, he will then bring into the, 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 on the scene or the stage of action a counterfeit to the truth. If he can't get those who are going to remain true to weaken and back down from the truth, he'll try to introduce something else that will still distract or pull people away from the truth. And it's counterfeit holiness. Beware of this. Counterfeit holiness, spurious sanctification is still doing its work of deception. This is what happened right after Martin Luther was faithful there at the Diet. Under various forms, it, ex it exhibits the same spirit as in the days of Luther. 
diverting minds from the scriptures and leading men to follow what? Their own feelings and impressions rather than to yield obedience to the law of God. Brothers and sisters, if you have not read Spirit of Prophecy carefully and Scripture carefully, we don't, our faith is not based on feelings. We don't believe in the 28 fundamental beliefs because we feel like it. It's because it's clearly presented and taught in God's Word. It is truth as it is in the Scriptures. Our feelings are not to be a measurement or a guide for our faith and our religious practices. This is a serious warning for us. And this slide actually is taken from the chapter called The Progress of Reform in Germany. And let me just follow that up by saying that Satan was not idle. This is uh, page 186. After Luther stood faithful, he now attempted, this is Satan, what he has attempted in every other reformatory movement. So notice, are we trying to reform ourselves together today here with, with GYC? That is to change our lives and reform it according to what God's word says. This is Satan's uh, attempt to deceive and destroy the people by palming off upon them a counterfeit in place of the true. We've got to be studying our Bible so that we know what the truth is and will not be taken away by any counterfeit gospel, counterfeit teachings that are not what the truth is. This is a, a, a powerful slide here that describes the protest of the princes. This was in uh, 1529. Uh, about 10 years, 12 years after the Reformation uh, officially began. And there were a group. Now, these are political leaders. These are not religious scholars. These are political princes. Germany at this time was divided up into many different small states. Uh, those are political units. And there were a few that were faithful and said, with the principles of the uh, Reformation, we should have the power or the right to worship as we believe. Notice these three things that are, are stated in the Great Controversy. Uh, they believe this protest denied the right of civil, that's, that's civil or, or government, political rulers, to legislate in matters of conscience. Number two, it rejected the arbitrary power of the church. Number three, it set forth the unerring principle that all human teaching should be in subjection to the oracles of God. And Ellen White comments on this and says, these principles are the very essence of Protestantism. Is anyone protesting today? These principles, one, two, three, are the essence of Protestantism. The very essence. John Knox. John Knox was a, uh, a kind of a firebrand, a leader in the Scottish Reformation. And he spoke out condemning the Catholic Church and was called in before Mary, Queen of Scots, uh, in 1561. And I thought this was a very important and helpful principle that John Knox says that Ellen White quotes. Notice what he, uh, what he said. The word of God is plain in itself, and if there appear any obscurity in one place, the Holy Ghost, which is never contrary to himself, explains the same more clearly in other places." so that there can remain no doubt but unto such as obstinately remain ignorant. Have you ever read a difficult passage? Have you ever had passages that are difficult presented to you as proof texts for uh, something that's kind of strange or isn't really solid with the truth? They put a strange interpretation on it. That's why we follow the counsel of Scripture, Isaiah 28.10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. Line upon line, here a little and there a little. As we compare and bring scripture together, then the, the truth as it is will become more clear uh, if we read a passage that is not particularly clear. 
All right, well, I don't have time to go through all the, the rest of the amazing reformers that are mentioned here uh, in the great controversy. Melanchthon, Zwingli, Echolampadius, William Farrell, Louis de Berquin, French reformer John Wesley, Tyndale. But I want to just close with a couple of slides and uh, notice what she says here about the grand principle maintained by these reformers. The same that had been held by the Waldenses, by Wycliffe, by John Huss, by Luther, by Zwingli, and those who united with them was the infallible authority of the Holy Scriptures as a rule of faith and practice. They denied the right of popes, councils, fathers, and kings to control the conscience in matters of religion. The Bible was their authority, and by its teaching, they tested all doctrines and all claims. Do you see a common thread running through all the reformers? How it comes back to a love of the truth a desire to actively study the truth, and a desire to share that truth with others around them. The Bible is the sole authority for all religious teaching and practice and doctrine, Ellen White says. Well, I want to thank you guys for being here this morning, and uh, let us just close with the prayers we end this session. Our Father and our God, I thank you and praise you that uh, we have the record of so many faithful uh, witnesses who have gone before us, who have earnestly sought out and studied the truth and have been willing to sacrifice everything that they have and possess, even their life itself, to maintain uh, the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we have a living, renewed heart, a connection with you, so that we will be eager and active not only to transform our own lives, but to transform every single heart and mind that we come into contact with, wherever we may be. Please bless us now as we go throughout uh, our day. And uh, I just thank you for your presence here. I ask this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.